broadcast of What's New. We move on today to Acts chapter 19. In this chapter, Paul retraces part of his first and second missionary journeys. Then he comes to Ephesus, where he speaks daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years. Here in Ephesus, Paul performs miracles which lead to the march against him, led by Demetrius and his fellow silversmiths. The mob is quieted by the town clerk who urges them to appeal to the law rather than resorting to violence. Now, here are the opening seven verses of this chapter, and Luke writes as follows. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through Turkey and arrived in Ephesus, where he found several disciples. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, he asked them? No, they replied, we don't know what you mean. What is the Holy Spirit? Then, what beliefs did you acknowledge at your baptism? He asked. And they replied, what John the Baptist taught. Then Paul pointed out to them that John's baptism was to demonstrate a desire to turn from sin to God, and that those receiving his baptism must then go on to believe in Jesus, the one John said would come later. As soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then, when Paul laid his hands upon their heads, the Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke in other languages and prophesied. The men involved were about twelve in number.
These 12 men seem to have been followers of Jesus, but indirectly through John the Baptist or some of his followers. Or perhaps they had received their teaching from Apollos himself in his earlier state of partial understanding. Like Apollos, they had a limited understanding of the gospel. Now today, our primary focus of our study will be on the city of Ephesus. This will help to show us just what Paul was up against during his two-year ministry in this city. Now here with our study is Pastor Henry Harder. Paul had promised the Ephesians that he would return, and he did. This time he stayed from two to three years, from A.D. 52 to A.D. 55. Ephesus was approaching its zenith when Paul arrived there. Here I wish we were on television or we were all in a classroom. I would show several maps, one of western Turkey showing the location of the city of Ephesus and one of the city itself showing the locations of different buildings. The ruins are, to say the least, magnificent. But words will have to do. Turkey, once Asia Minor, lies just to the east of Greece across the Aegean Sea. Along the western part of Turkey were the seven cities in which were located the seven churches John wrote about in the book of Revelation. Ephesus lay near the mouth of the Caister River, three miles from the Aegean Sea. It had an artificial harbor that would accommodate the largest seagoing vessels. Since the silt brought down by the Caister River would tend to fill up the harbor and push back the water, the area was systematically dredged to keep it open the city became the metropolis of the Roman province of Asia. It rivaled in greatness with Antioch on the Orontes in Syria and with Alexandria in Egypt. It was a great city. Ephesus is an old city. Its earliest history is wrapped in legend. Mythology claims that the Amazons, the warrior maids of Asia Minor, were the builders of earliest Ephesus and the founders of the cult of Artemis. The girls who served the temple as prostitutes were, like the Amazon warrior maidens dressed in short skirts with one breast bare. When the Greeks gradually took over, the Anatolian Amazon goddess became the Greek goddess Artemis. The city was captured by the Persians and finally by the Romans in 133 B.C. In the early 50s, perhaps in 52 or 53, Paul got there. Much of the city has been excavated. The harbor, of course, is gone, but much of the city itself is unearthed. You can walk down Main Street to the water's edge, where it once was. The whole harbor is now filled with silt. The discovery of the Temple of Diana or Artemis, sometimes called the Artemisian, is a fascinating story. The search for the long-lost buried temple was begun on May 2nd, 1863. The British architect John T. Wood Searching for the temple, dug 75 trial pits the first year. By 1869, no clues had been found as to its location. But on one inscription, dating about 50 years after Paul, a clue was discovered. It was found while clearing the theater. It described a temple procession where the images of the goddess were carried from the theater to the temple. The procession passed through the Magnesian Gate. Wood found the magnificent triple-arched gate and the 35-foot-wide road paved with marble. 
the archaeologists uncovered the road, which finally led them to a boundary wall of the sacred temple precincts. The date was May 2nd, exactly six years after they started the search for the temple. On December 31, 1869, at a depth of 20 feet, the white marble pavement of the sacred area surrounding the temple and the temple itself were located. The temple lay about a mile northeast of the city proper. I remember some years ago we passed by the temple on our way to the city. The guide pointed it out and said, that's the remains of the temple of Diana. I was so disappointed that we didn't stop, since it was once considered one of the seven wonders of the world. Evidently, the guide didn't consider it important, so we drove on into the city of Ephesus. We missed seeing the temple that rivaled that of Solomon's earlier. It was one of the largest buildings of the ancient world. I am told that it covered perhaps two-thirds of the area of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. The temple itself was 418 feet long and 239 feet wide, four times the size of the Parthenon in Athens. It was decorated with a hundred columns more than 55 feet tall. The temple was decorated with the works of the most famous sculptors and artists of the day. The Greek goddess was called Artemis, although that word evidently does not have Greek origin. Perhaps it is a carryover of an earlier female deity associated with the fertility cults of the East. Her Roman name was Diana. Diana was represented by a many-breasted woman image whose function was to produce and preserve life. She was a fertility goddess. In Persian times, the temple worship was presided over by a eunuch priest. But by Paul's day, it was run by so-called virgin priestesses. Besides a place of worship, the temple was also a treasury and a bank. Here, private citizens, kings, and cities would make deposits. So Paul assaulted a powerful religion with ties to business and commerce all over the world. When Demetrius, the guild master of the temple, said that Artemis was reverenced in all Asia and the world, he wasn't exaggerating. But the gospel got a foothold in pagan territory, and paganism began to suffer, as we shall see. out to one another 
And you know, he shows us a love so powerful that it can overcome greed, bigotry, and even cause us to love our bitterest enemy. He gave us his written word, which makes plain the way to have a close relationship with him. And the best part is all this is available to you. So it is up to you. is a radio production of Creative Encounters. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 848, Chapter California, 93263, USA.